0: This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Today's guest is Andrew Connor, Director of the Center for Community
1: Ownership. So we're sending our money away to these companies and places where they have no benefit to our local community and we have no idea what the consequences of those investments are. It's very difficult to track and we're not supporting economic growth in our community.
0: Andrew's work is dedicated to empowering locally owned businesses that provide critical services to rural communities, sustain a tax base and limit economic vulnerability. He's also involved in Crowdfund Montana, a newly launched financing platform designed to, as they say, move money from Wall Street to Main Street. Andrew, thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So where did you grow up and what did your parents do? Well, I grew up
1: in and around Columbus, Ohio, and my dad was a real estate developer, and my mom did a lot of different things. She was a teacher and administrator at a school and had a variety of other jobs during the the course of my childhood.
0: And so give us the potted bio of how you made your way to to Montana and to, to sort of get into the work you're in right now.
1: Yeah, so I grew up, stayed in Ohio for college, then bounced around the world for a few years after that, landed in Northern California when I came back to the States, made my way up to Seattle, eventually ended up in Bellingham, Washington, where I lived for a really long time, about a decade ago, eh, a little longer than that, I guess. I ended up in this world of sort of in socially and environmentally responsible business, new economy, alternative economic development, basically revisiting sort of how our economic system works and how it can function better to serve more people in more places and things like that. And moved away from a job that I had there, came to Missoula in 2013, and part of that work which was really stimulating, really interesting, seeing all these really creative solutions that people were generating to economic problems and social issues, using business as a solution and things like that. And one of the strategies that I really gravitated towards was this community-owned business model which has taken a lot of different forms in a lot of different places, but it's basically a way for communities that don't have a lot of resources and they aren't necessarily being served by chain stores or traditional investors or traditional entrepreneurs. They can come together and say, hey, we want a grocery store. And even though nobody else is creating a grocery store, we're gonna come together, pool our capital, start a grocery store because the closest grocery store is an hour away or we don't have options. So that led me to start the Center for Community Ownership because places that wanted to do this, there was no sort of centralized place for them to find resources or get the technical assistance and they might not even know it's a solution. So basically created the Center for Community Ownership to spread the word that this is an option, that places that don't have a lot of other economic development options can do this, can take matters into their own hands and help connect them with the resources they need to actually make it happen.
0: So maybe just distinguish community ownership from sort of public ownership. You know, I would assume something like the Green Bay Packers, for example, is different than something like the city of Missoula owning its water company.
1: In a sense, a way to think of it is, it's no different than a normal business in a lot of ways. It just happens to have distributed ownership. Okay. So rather than having a single entrepreneur or an entrepreneur with two main investors or something like that, where the ownership is kind of concentrated with somebody who has resources, you might fund it with you know 500 people in your community who all invest a little bit and those people vote on a board of directors and the board of directors hires the president of the company or the manager the main manager and that person runs the day-to-day so it's not like everybody in the community is participating in making every decision or running the business they are just providing the capital and you know providing that sort of oversight and governance through a pretty traditional you know board of directors or something some structure like that there's a lot of different forms that the structure can take but it it is rooted in a fairly traditional approach to the business structure itself
0: and so can you give us maybe some of the highlights and success stories what are some communities or businesses within certain communities that you've been able to uh, support and sustain
1: so yeah there's projects actually <laughs> that we did not have a hand in are some of the most striking success stories okay. you know we we've been kind of trying to organize and consolidate this work over the last couple of years, but prior to our existence, there's some places that have really done a tremendous job. One of the examples I always point to is uh, Walsh, Colorado, this town in the Plains in Southeastern Colorado that has a couple hundred people in it. And if I recall correctly, they they hadn't had a grocery store for maybe a few decades. And wow. they just sort of made do, you know, that the closest grocery store was like a 45 minute or an hour long drive or something. And they had a particularly bad winter where it was stretch along blizzards and they were really, it became extremely difficult and inc- extremely risky for them to mm-hmm. drive, you know, na- what was now like more than an hour or more than 45 minutes to get to the grocery store in really terrible conditions. And my understanding is that that was the real catalyzing event for them, where they were just saying, like, we've got to do something about this. In this town of, like I said, just a few hundred people, you know, came together and in a few months had raised a quarter of a million dollars to convert this empty storefront in their downtown into a grocery store. It's been successful, you know, and paid paid returns and dividends to its investors. And it's it's been great, you know, and no chain store was going to come in there and put a grocery store in this little town, you know, right. and it's, and, uh, so that's, you know, that, like I said, that's not a project that we had a hand in, but that's one that really stri- stands out to me. And, you know, there's been a couple dozen examples of this over the last few years. And, uh, we've been working with a few different projects that are in process, uh, historic movie theater, okay, uh, in, in a city that we're sort of trying to work with and, you know, a family business that owns, uh, Garden Center and also in Colorado, this one. Uh, restaurant, we have a project that we're working on. So it's kind of a whole range of industries and places and things like that that we've been working on.
0: Yeah. So maybe a good point to transition to Crowdfund Montana because that's kind of an extension of this work but but adjacent to it in some way. So what is Crowdfund Montana? What is it that that, um, you know, what need is it that that organization and that enterprise is trying to serve?
1: Yeah. So through the work that I've been doing with the Center for Community Ownership, we developed a very close relationship with this organization called Crowdfund Main Street. And what Crowdfund Main Street is, is a national platform for investment crowdfunding. And investment crowdfunding is like traditional crowdfunding that you might think of, like Kickstarter or GoFundMe or something like that, where people want to do a project, they're trying to get money for it. But the people who contribute to those are just giving money to those things, yeah. so just basically donating. It's a like gift crowdfunding, we often call it. And the difference with investment crowdfunding is that five or six years ago, they passed this law that allowed you to actually use the form of crowdfunding to make a real investment. So with traditional crowdfunding, you could not get a financial return. You couldn't buy a share of the company. People couldn't borrow money through crowdfunding. Those things were not legal or possible investment crowdfunding is different. Mm-hmm. You actually can sell shares in your company. You can borrow money in the form of debt through investments like that. So, CrowdFund Main Street is an investment crowdfunding platform that works all around the country. And they're there are partner on a lot of these community ownership projects. But they also just work with traditional businesses and entrepreneurs who are looking to raise capital and want to use investment crowdfunding. So, they host a lot of projects and offerings on their platform that are just you know it's a local coffee shop that wants to expand so instead of going to a bank or they don't know somebody who can just write to them a big check as an angel investor they can go to the community and say hey we want you to be our investors we want to sell some some ownership shares of our company in order to raise money to grow our business so that's investment crowdfunding. We had the idea, you know, we were sort of in my discussion with, with Crowdfund Mainstream, and they were already thinking along these lines. I said, you know, what would it, would it be possible to create a platform that was just focused on Montana hmm. that would be just for Montana-based businesses and organizations? And they said, oh, yeah, we're already sort of thinking along those lines of, of trying that out. So this is actually the first time that they have tried that, creating a geographically specific local label site, which is what they're calling it. So Crowdfund Main Street has created Crowdfund Montana. okay, And it is a site that is totally dedicated to businesses and organizations that are based in Montana. And the Center for Community Ownership is supporting this because we really strongly believe in community investment of all kinds. So the projects on here aren't necessarily community ownership projects, you know, full community ownership projects. They are just entities that want to raise money through community investment. So we're trying to really cultivate a community of people in Montana who want to invest in Montana. This really serves to really substantial needs. One is that you have a lot of businesses and entrepreneurs who face barriers to access to capital. And sometimes that's because that's the industry they're in. It's really difficult for them to get a loan. And secondly, a lot of entrepreneurs, their ability to raise capital is really limited by their personal relationships. You know, Like I said, if they happen to know people who have a lot of wealth and are able to write big checks or they have easy access to those people or they look a certain way you know there's a lot of research about the racial and gender dynamics of who has access to traditional like venture capital or mm-hmm. angel investment and things like that and even if they're not facing barriers that are discriminatory it's also just a lot of those investors are not interested in modest scale community focused businesses. You know, a lot of investors are looking for a Silicon Valley type investment where they're taking this big risk and maybe they're going to make a thousand times back on their money and they're wanting to exit in five years. And, you know, a lot of these businesses, just that's not what they're doing. You know, they're trying to grow in sort of a modest way. They're not trying to sell to a big competitor and cash out. You know, it's just a much more patient approach so that's on the business side it serves that need which is access to capital which can be can be difficult and also it has the benefit of you raise it from your community you have these dedicated community members who are literally and figuratively invested in your success so they're going to be dedicated customers and advocates and so forth and then on the flip side of things as just everyday people We have very few investment opportunities. You know, we're basically only allowed, previous to the creation of investment crowdfunding, to invest in Wall Street. You know, and that's like where our money goes when we have a retirement account, or you know, when we talk to a financial advisor. That's what. That's how we're counseled. You know, mutual funds are all Wall Street oriented, so we're sending our money away to these companies and places where they have no benefit to our local community, and we have no idea what the consequences of those investments are. It's very difficult to track. And we're not supporting economic growth in our community. So on the other side too, it allows, it opens us up to anybody to be able to invest in things in their community.
0: And so let's maybe take this, you know, in two steps here. Let's talk about the, the benefits to the entrepreneur. So, you know, you talk to various you know, angel investors or, you know, the lenders or whatever. And, you know, they sort of advise entrepreneurs like try to bootstrap your business as much as you can yourself, then go to friends and family, then maybe to a bank. You know, a lot of these angel investors say, you know, come to us last and go to the, you know, go to sharing equity last. Like how do you sort of position this in the continuum of options for an entrepreneur? And what level of sophistication are some of these entrepreneurs coming to you with? So, you know, every entrepreneur, every business is going to have
1: something different is going to work best for them. Sure. You know, it's, it's definitely, it's not one size fits all, but that's one of the great things actually about investment crowdfunding is that The entrepreneurs have total control over the terms of the investment that they're offering okay you know a lot of times in these more traditional kind of angel situations or venture capital situations they're going to be kind of subject to the terms that are dictated to them by the investors you Mm -hmm. know that power dynamic is pretty lopsided in a lot of situations absolutely most situations i would say i think that customizability is something that really it's not the perfect fit for every single entrepreneur Mm -hmm. but it it makes a lot of those situations where people are having a hard time finding capital elsewhere. There's a solution here
0: in a lot of situations. We'll be back to my conversation with Andrew Connor after this short break. A new angle is supported by first security bank, Blackfoot communications, and UM's college of business. Access to capital, broadband and education are three ingredients. Any community needs for success. Hey folks, This episode of A New Angle is brought to you by ALPS, the largest direct writer of lawyer's malpractice insurance based right here in Missoula, Montana. Not only does ALPS provide outstanding insurance products and risk management resources, they also pride themselves on making the insurance process as easy as possible for their busy policyholders. Beyond that, ALPS was named a 2021 Best Place to Work in Montana. So if you value creativity and innovation and want to work in a supportive and nurturing culture, check out Career Options at Alps. They want to hire Montana's best. To learn more, visit www.alpsinsurance.com.
1: This is Ann Helen Peterson, and I am a senior culture writer at BuzzFeed News, and you're listening to A New Angle.
0: Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm speaking with Andrew Conner, about Crowdfund Montana. Yeah, so maybe can you, can you paint a picture of a case study where you know a, a business couldn't quite find the capital they needed to bring their idea to life, but um, you know this crowdfund platform was an option for them. Yeah, so
1: it's actually one of the clients we're working with currently is in a situation that's pretty similar to what we are what we're discussing. So they are working to build an indoor sports facility in Great Falls. Okay. And it's a pretty expensive project. Yeah. And they're going to need some uh, some lending uh from a traditional bank. And so th- they're doing exactly what I just described. They're going to bring in equity investors. So they're going to sell ownership shares to people in the community to raise 20 to 25% of the total cost of the project. And then they are going to turn right around and leverage that to get the bank financing for the rest of the project. And this is the kind of thing that everybody loves the project. Like everybody's super supportive and into them doing this, but without that catalyzing money, like, nobody's writing them a check for the whole thing the bank doesn't want to bankroll the whole thing the entrepreneurs can't pay for the whole thing so it's been sort of sitting at this kind of stalemated place a little bit and hopefully this investment crowdfunding is going to be the thing that unlocks the whole project and lets it move forward and can be leveraged sort of many times over as far as the total investment is concerned
0: and so relative to other sources of capital for an entrepreneur how does this stack up in terms of risk to the business owner risk to the entrepreneur
1: I think it is lower risk because because of that control factor, you know, and that's one of the things that we always talk about is the fact that a lot of times entrepreneurs are enticed by, you know, an angel investment or venture capital and. They warp what they're doing in order to kind of satisfy the terms to get that money. And they end up kind of undermining or sabotaging their business in the process. So not only do they give up control, but they end up doing things that aren't in the best interest of the business Mm -hmm. just to satisfy the needs and desires of some outside investor. And they don't have to do that in this case. You know, they can, because they define the terms, they basically can attract the investors who are. Content with those terms, so from the get-go, they are just in greater alignment with the people who are investing in their business.
0: And so, let's flip to this perspective of the investor. We're at this really fascinating time in the capital markets right now. You know that the, the stock markets are at all-time highs. It's hard to know if there's actually any real value to be had there. Yet, it's really. You know, it doesn't seem like a smart move to to short the market at this point. There's money flowing into NFTs and crypto through these, you know, innovative platforms like Robinhood and others. It just seems like there's a, a ton of money and we can, you know, there's a bunch of debate as to where that money's coming from, but there's a ton of money moving around. And this is an alternative. And you described it as an alternative that maybe isn't tied to this like need for explosive 10x, 1000x growth. Yet it is another way for investors to access investment opportunities. If from from an investor side, there's the social story, right? They're supporting the local community. But what? But how does it distinguish itself from putting money in my four hundred one k and some Vanguard index fund?
1: You know, I would hesitate to make any sort of generalizations sure. about. You know, you obviously <laughs> there's a wide range of alternatives. You know, and money can be invested in intelligently and not intelligently. You can make a certain amount or not a certain amount, you know, so it's a pretty hard thing to generalize about. But I will say, I think the two things that come up most often when people are talking about direct local investing, one is the risk. And I think that every investment carries risk. Mm -hmm. And, you you know, that's, you, you know, the soundest investment advice and approaches. just you know enter any investment knowing that you have the capacity to lose every single right. thing that you're investing right. don't you know, invest and, money and, that
0: you're not prepared to lose
1: yeah exactly and that is just the reality people have this idea that the stock market or mutual funds or things like that are sort of like no risk or the lowest. You know, there's this notion of security and safety with the stock market. And I think that that's a little bit overblown. I think that there's obviously you can do the thing where you say here's the graph of the stock market over the last 100 years and it's on this kind of steady upward thing and like yes, that's true. If you, you know, if you generally speaking, I think if you put money in the stock market and leave it there for a long time, odds are in the end, you end up in a higher place than you were you know, below. Mm-hmm. But as we have seen just in the last couple of decades, there's a tremendous amount of volatility, there's a tremendous amount, and if, you, if the timing doesn't work out for you, you can lose everything or almost everything very quickly and you never know, really know when that's gonna happen. So the idea that it is sort of a risk-free place to put your money is kind of questionable. Yeah, I logical
0: think. fallacy at this point. I mean, most yeah. of this generation, have not really endured a bear market.
1: In general, you know, the odds that the local coffee shop is going to lose you money on investment, like, is that any better or worse than the odds that some corporation that you have money in and in the stock market is going to? I don't know. Yeah. And you there know, is I, some, I you think... know,
0: there's like this classic Warren Buffett advice of know what you own. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, exactly. And so this is a mechanism through which you can really know what you own yeah
1: and you can actually do due diligence in a meaningful way you can meet the business owner you can see what they do you're familiar with them you know how they exist in the community so you actually can evaluate them in a real personal way rather than reading you know if you are even going to do due diligence on a publicly traded company you know read their opaque financial statements that have almost certainly been manipulated to make them look better performing than they actually are. Yeah, the S1s are now press
0: releases in many ways. So this is... um, Yeah, and what's sort of the reporting mechanism that, that companies have to provide to be on the platform?
1: Yeah, so there's a full disclosure that they have to go through. This, you know, this whole process is completely regulate heavily regulated by sure. the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission. And so, you know, you can see now if you go to crowdfundmontana.com, which is the site, there's offerings up there now, and you can click in and there's a document called a Form C, which is the full kind of package that is approved, submitted to and approved by the SEC. And in there they've got Financial state, you know, they have to provide multiple years of reviewed financial statements, uh, information about the directors of the company, intended use of funds documents. You know, there's just everything that you would need to sort of be able to evaluate the company, what it's done, what it is doing, what it plans to do with the money that's invested and Mm -hmm. so forth. And then, like I said, you know, that's one of the nice things you could reach out. To these people, <laughs> you know, they're contacting. Their website is linked there. You can you can sure. email them. They'll have they'll talk to you. You know, so that disclosure information is mandatory. It is available as a part of the offering, and these people are are accessible. The risk side is one of you know the one objection that or or kind of concern I sure. should say that comes up often with local investing, and the other one is the return. And I think that that's just something that people have to kind of evaluate on their own in the category of things that have become embedded in our cultural understanding of things. You know, this idea like the long-term return of the stock market is 8% or, you know, whatever number somebody puts on. And I, I have read a lot of critique of that, you know, and a lot of times those numbers completely ignore the transaction costs, the fees associated with that. You know, it's actually the long-term return if you're an investment in stock market tends to be much lower, like 5% is sort of like a more reasonable, accurate, all costs included kind of look at that and that's not an unreasonable return to expect from a community-faced business with you know some sort of a regular investment so i think that there are reasonable returns and there's also beyond that reasonable financial return there's also this kind of social return sure. you are building your local economy and that benefits you in a lot of other ways too probably both financially in all sorts of distributed, dispersed ways that a healthy economy and so forth does. But also just on a personal level, you have a greater diversity and selection of healthy and thriving businesses, which is great for your quality of life. So it offers both this financial and the social return.
0: And, and so in the spirit of that you know, ethic and transparency there, how does Crowdfund Montana and Crowdfund Main Street in general make money? What's your revenue model?
1: basically it's pretty straightforward like all crowdfunding investment and reward crowdfunding platforms their business model is to take a percentage of the total amount raised so that's basically how they pay the bills is that when a raise is successful they take a percentage off the back end so that's that's how they pay their bills.
0: Andrew, I want to circle back to something from the onset of the conversation that we that we sort of glossed over. I mean, you mentioned you kind of bounced around, did a variety of careers, and then kind of had this realization that you know, there were other models than the traditional model for business, for investing. So pull the lens back from Crowdfund Montana, from Centric for Community o- Ownership, et cetera, and just talk about your – your sensibility and your approach to kind of trying to develop new models for our uh, system of economics.
1: Yeah, I think the way that I would describe my approach to that is I view business and economics as arguably the most sort of powerful powerful force in our, that that sort of shapes our world. You Mm -hmm. know, it has tremendous social impact, tremendous environmental impact. Uh, cultural impact, political impact you know it is it is this really, really potent force that we contend with, and I, I think there are a lot of completely reasonable, deep structural critiques, critiques about the political system and the legal system and the, and, and all of the structures that create and guide the market and do or don 't hold things accountable and where certain limits are and and just the very nature and the fundamental aspects of the system itself. I think you can ask all those questions and make all those critiques. And I think that's important. But I think that there is, there's something that's almost sort of more immediate and more uh, accessible and attainable in a way as far as making change. And I just think that business and the economy can be a positive force. I you know I, I think that it's easy to be Pollyanna about that like sure. you know the sort of oh if we all just you know we we just shop our way to freedom or shop our way to environmental sustainability or if we just buy this or whatever you know I th- I think it's sometimes people are a little too superficial about kind of that approach and I that's not what I'm trying to say. I just mean that within our grasp here I think that we have a lot of tools to drive some really significant positive change that already exist and are being underutilized. We, we can argue about whether the whole house should look different, you know, fundamentally, if we needed to rip it down to the studs or tear it down and demolish it and rebuild the whole thing, whatever. But but right now we're standing around with tools in our hands that we are not using. Mm. And so we're. I'm just trying to really do things to facilitate the use of those tools to create change now that's actually going to get us where we want to go.
0: Yeah, I think that's well put, Andrew. So for folks that want to learn more about Crowdfund Montana, Center for Community Ownership, your work in general. Where would you point them?
1: Crowdfund Montana is at crowdfundmontana.com. And then Center for Community Ownership is at centerforcommunityownership.org. crowdfundmontana.com, centerforcommunityownership.org.
0: Well, Andrew, thanks for telling us more about these two great platforms and your work today. I wish you all the best. And um, maybe down the road, we can get an update on some of the success stories coming out of these investment mechanisms. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, A generous gift from University of Montana alums, Michelle and Lauren Hanson. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. AJ Williams is our producer. BTO Jeff Ament and John Wicks made our music. Editing by Nick Mott. And Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot and see you next time.